You know, people don't like real estate agents, right? Like, I'd say most people don't like them. We've got all these people moving from cities into our town. I can probably be a millionaire in just a few days' time. I was very, like, tapped into that. Like, I understood why, why that might be. Um, so kind of in my first year, like reaching out to everyone I know and, you know, hopping on the phones for the first time. I still feel this a little bit sometimes, like I'm afraid to, to log into Mojo and start dialing, right? Like there's this like level of anxiety where it's like, you know, I'm bothering these people. I'm, you know, just a nuisance. I was able to get over that kind of lack of confidence when I knew that I should have it because of all these things that I've come from. Close the transactions that I wanted to close in the last, you know, year or so. I think I'm a lot harder on myself than maybe the outside world is looking at me. Welcome to another episode of The Think Pod. My name is Jared Dykus. Just wanted to let you guys know about an event that we are doing May 17th and May 18th here in Millersville, Maryland. If you cannot make it to Millersville, Maryland, we are doing this event virtually, and this virtual event and in person is called Quantum Leap, which is basically Gary Keller's autobiography of how he built a billion-dollar empire, and this class will be taught by none other than John Newman, the godfather of real estate. This is an event that you do not want to miss out on. Forget about listings for a second. Forget about buyers for a second or inbound leads. This is going to allow you to look within yourself, your business, and how you can get to the next level using the systems, tools, and models that Gary Keller has already laid out for the real estate industry. I can't wait to see you there. Welcome to the ThinkPod, where thoughts have no limits. My name is Jared Dykus. Today with me, I have a very special guest, the Newman Group's very own Vince Principe. Vince, first question, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. How You're about doing yourself? Well. I'm doing well, too. Awesome. We're doing a lot better if you uh, pulled that mic a little oh bit closer goodness. to your face. You're right. <laughs> I don't want to like spit into it, but... <laughs> nah, you can do that. Yeah, that's just, okay. Just everybody else uses it. I'll clean it up <laughs> after. Um, how was this weekend? It was good, man. I'm still feeling it a little bit. Um, I ran, what, 50, it was like 31.6 miles through the woods. And where was that? This was in uh, Southern Virginia. Um, I actually did this race. Southern Virginia? Yeah. So it was like practically Roanoke. I don't even know where that is. It's like four hours from here. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Past Richmond? Yes. I think it's it's west of Richmond. Mm, so, okay. But like pretty, I think on the same like parallel tangent what were you what were you doing like what was the race you were just running around the woods or was it no, an actual so, like organized event yeah it was it was organized um it was actually 100k um so a majority of the people were doing 63 miles um and it was an out and back course i chose the 50k because i'm not ready for 63 <laughs> miles um so yeah i mean i i've been training for it for god i mean i haven't ran one in a year so essentially a year to do it again um but it was ultimately like a stepping stone for another one I'm doing in July, um, which will be out in Colorado and it's all at altitude. So this was just going to be kind of, you know, building strength so I can, can get up to that. Um, Cause this was about, this was right under five hours on my feet. Whereas the one in July, just with the elevation change, it's like 9,000 feet of gain and descent. So it's going to be a lot of hiking. Um, so that'll be like, I don't know. I haven't really determined what that would look like if it went well, but it would probably be somewhere like, I don't know, closer to six hours. So yeah, maybe, maybe even over. Vince, why does this, uh, what's up with May 3rd? May 3rd. That yeah. was the, the day that I walked into this office. Well, not the day I walked into this office, but the day I started. Um, so I think I got my license a week or two after that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I had already started onboarding, um, May 3rd. I mean, it was literally, yeah, I did this, this race a year ago. Um, and it was, you know, the, the week after that. Wow. Uh, and remind the audience, what did you do before real estate? Oh, before real estate, I was a cook for about four years. Um, I went to Catholic university in DC mm -hmm. and then, I mean, I majored in English and studied philosophy as well. Um, with the idea of I don't know, maybe teaching, maybe going to school to be a writer, something like that. Um, I've always been pretty creative, so that was something that really interested me, and I kind of wanted pers to pursue that, but with, I don't know, I just wasn't sure if I wanted to go all in on going back to school since I you know, was there for 
16 you would years. have you would have had to go back to school yeah i mean you know i would have had to pursue a master's or you know i, I was going to get my mfa which is essentially a master's in creative writing mm. um but ultimately i convinced myself to take a year off and kind of figure out exactly what i wanted to do i was really unsure i mean i remember like sitting in my basement after i graduated maybe like a month after my parents basement and i was like okay like what what am i doing mm-hmm. here you know like i i didn't major in any i mean i majored in something that was very obvious as to what the next step would be um typically you know oh you're gonna write or you're gonna be a teacher or you know any of those things but ultimately i was i I just didn't feel the draw immediately so i figured i'd take a year off and and pursue something you know kind of random i guess Mm -hmm. um and i started getting really into uh chef's table i don't know if you've ever seen that on netflix Mm-hmm. Um, but they do so like, good. yeah, it's so good. They do like these individual episodes based off of, or based on just different chefs essentially. So they'll go to their area, whether it be like in France or Italy, mm-hmm. Spain and America, and they'll just do like a biopic on, you know, how they became a chef, um, kind of their cuisine. And typically there's a lot of like higher end restaurants, like Michelin starred restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of like extremely focused pursuit just really interested me. Um, and my girlfriend, I mean, I mean, my fiance now, like girlfriend back then, you know, she was very into the cooking as well. And, you know, we would go out to eat all the time. That was kind of how we, you know, began our relationship was mm-hmm. like through food in a way. Um, and when I brought it up to her, like, oh, maybe I'll go to culinary school or something for a year. Like, that sounds fun. Um, and she's like, yeah, like, wh- why don't you pursue that? Like, that, that could be, f- that could be, you know, interesting at the very least. Uh, and so I reached out to a, a guy that I didn't know that went to my high school um he's about like 10 years older than maybe like he's like 12 13 years older than me um and he had a michelin star restaurant in dc like they just got their star um so i actually (laughs) i messaged him on linkedin because i couldn't find his number anywhere i didn't want to call the restaurant (laughs) but weirdly enough he answered me within like an hour um and i was just i was like hey i want to learn about cooking like you want to sit down with me um you know i might want to go to culinary school whatever he's like yeah you know come through next week so i went and sat down with him for I don't know, all of 10 minutes. And he was just like, I mean, you can come in a month if you you just want to start and see if you like it or not. Uh, And that got me really pumped up. I mean, I didn't even ask about how much he was going to pay me. Like I just, (laughs) I was like, sure, like let's do it. Um, And then, I mean, one thing led to another. I was there for almost two years. Um, Really the first nine months were just getting my ass kicked Uh, because all these other guys, I mean, it was, you know, all, early 20 somethings because that's just kind of what the industry is in general or usually kids out of college um or kids that went to culinary school in my case it was the whole line was kids that went to culinary school um so you know i got shit on for about a year and then kind of figured it out and you know i guess the goal was oh i want to have my own restaurant one day or you know have a two three Michelin star restaurant because that's kind of the mm-hmm. goal i mean in that kind of in that realm um you know three stars is the goal uh, and usually that means, I mean, it means a whole bunch of different things. It how, gets really how tough is it to get a star? It's very tough. Um, I mean, they don't just give it to everybody. Typically yeah. you kind of have to, you have to aim in a certain direction. Um, usually they focus on tasting menu restaurants, um, you know, more expensive restaurants. Uh, and all the stars mean is like one, one is it's just an exceptional food in its class. So like, that's very broad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's like ramen places in New York that have a star um, and like Korean barbecue places in New mm-hmm. York that have a star. So it's not like necessarily. That Korean, sorry, that Korean barbecue place, yeah, I'm Coke. pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. so th- we have a funny story. Jared and I were at that place that oh, like really? a month before got its star. Okay. We like just booked a random night, but John, jared and a couple other people and we're just like next thing you know is we're sitting down yeah and then like a month later best way we're, that's all we talk about how good the food was mm-hmm. and then like a month later i'm like oh i can't get a re- reservation anymore because it's got a, a one star yeah and there's like their book for the rest of the year yeah so i mean like the the michelin guide started back in like the i think it was the early 1900s don't quote me on that but michelin was trying to sell tires um in a way that they wanted to, and the way that they were going to do that was they were going to you know, encourage people to travel. Um, and so they would have all these uh, restaurants out in the French countryside. They wouldn't go and rate them. Um, one star being, again, like, you know, Michelin best. is fr- Michelin star is yes, from the tire company. It's from the tire company. Um, so, and, and not, not everywhere in the world 
you know, has them. I mean, they just had opened it up to, you know, all of the West Coast not too long ago. Wow. Um, you know, it's kind of going out into Virginia a little bit now with the you know, little Washington has three stars. Um, but essentially they were just trying to, they were trying to sell tires. Um, so, you know, if, the, if you got three stars, it really, it means worth an exceptional journey. Wow. Um, you know, meaning you can travel, it's worth traveling across the world for. Wow. Um, so, you know, I started in a one-star restaurant again, did that for two years and then kind of wanted to see what that next step would be. Um, I actually, after only working at Masseria for about nine months, I saw a post from this one chef that I, you know, really got into when I first started. His name was Christopher Costow. And he has this three-star restaurant out in Napa Valley um, that since burnt down over COVID. Oh. Yeah, during during the wildfires, um, and they were hiring. And I was like, hell, I might as well go try it out in see, Napa. Yeah, see if I can get a three-star job, like you know, first year in. Um, and it, I mean, I showed up and I just got ripped. Like really? it, it was horrible. <laughs> uh, I mean, looking back on it now, I could certainly hang, but at the time, it was it was not fun. Um, That's exciting. Yeah. So once I got back from that, I I was really juiced up. Like really wanted to see know how i could be that good to get a job like that uh-huh. um so i ended up working all the stations of masseria and then applied for a job at pineapple and pearls which was a two-star restaurant like only 15 minutes away from from masseria um, ended up getting that and was there for about two years until COVID happened mm. everything went to shit when COVID happened more or less <laughs> like I mean, with those with with those high-end restaurants yeah basically? i mean pineapple and pearls still isn't open oh wow they open i think at the end of this month maybe um but yeah they've been closed wow. for all that time really just because they were like leveraging their other businesses they're like a smaller food group so that's so interesting um when you say you went out to napa valley and, and got your your stuff kicked in what like what did that teach you or like how did that fire you up i don't understand that it was it just because you saw where you were at and where you could be or yeah definitely um and i don't know i've always been drawn to that like kind of I mean, I don't know a better word for it, but like, the, like a boys club kind of mentality where not, not like frat life, yeah. I mean, nothing like that, but you know, where everyone's kind of like pushing themselves towards mm-hmm. a common goal. And I got a lot of that from that experience where, you know, they were kind of all, you know, if someone was struggling, you know, they'd, they'd let them know about it, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like that, you know, pick them up and keep going. I um, mean, especially you know, when you're working, 12 14 16 hours a day sometimes um that was a shift yeah i mean at that restaurant i think it was usually they'd show up around like 10 a.m 10 11 a.m and then you know you'd work till close so midnight wow um and that was five days a week so that was like the the restaurant that's where you and i had like their first connection that's when i was like oh yeah this guy's the shit because i found out you were in the restaurant business it's like what you're saying about like the camaraderie camaraderie that happens like in the restaurant there's nothing like it literally nothing and and it's like the biggest scumbags you know are your best friends yeah. and like they are literally like when you're on the line and the shit's hitting the fan the ticket machine isn't fucking stopping like you know that this guy's got your back because you've seen him show up yeah. and it's there's something to that where it's like okay like this is fucking cool yeah it's you know? like your own little little family like i you know i didn't have much time i mean we were only closed sunday and monday so you know sunday was kind of maybe we went out saturday night after you know a long week so sunday was like recovering and then mm-hmm. monday was you know getting my craft together for the rest of the week so there wasn't really like if you're in that sort of environment it's it's all you do really i mean it's all you have time to do um especially at that level um you know again when you're working 65 plus hours a week um yeah, I mean, that was, and, and I was always really drawn to that, like something, a pursuit where you kind of just throw your whole self at it and kind of see what happens. Um, and I think after that first year of cooking, I saw how good I got in a short am- amount of time that it gave me just, I've never been an extremely confident person, but it gave me a lot of confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just kind of wanted to keep seeing where that would take me. Is that because of the time that you all- allocated to the craft, would you say? And just like the hustle of bustle of? A little bit of both, I think going to college and like having a liberal arts kind of background as well opened my mind up to things in a different way like I think I was looking at food or maybe the way that I approached it in a different way um and also coming from like team sports and stuff like that and knowing what it means to be to train for something or to prepare for something um I think that gave me like an edge in that way um because typically I mean I, I mean, I don't want to speak for most chefs, but most of them are just a bunch of, like, bunch of nerds that love food. Like, that's really what it comes down to. Like, maybe they, you know, 
they might have had some sort of athletic background or team sport background in high school but ultimately it's just a bunch of people that love cooking every day um so i think that since i was so competitive and kind of had more of a broad outlook on i guess the industry as a whole maybe mm-hmm. just because i'm coming from like the outside going in at first um i don't know i just feel like it gave me a little bit of an edge and once i st- again once i started gaining momentum um i felt like i had to s- kind of see where it was going to go do you feel like not going to culinary school like oh no it doesn't matter it doesn't matter no. it's, i mean i'd say it's it's one of those things kind of like you get a degree in order to get the job so in, I mean, in theory, in some of these high-end kitchens, like unless you have years of experience, you need that degree to to get in and do the grunt work for a while until they kind of move you up. Um, but again, I was lucky from just knowing a guy who, you know, went to my high school, happened to have this amazing restaurant, and he took a shot on on me. And uh, I mean, I didn't let him down and mm-hmm. at the end. But <laughs> that's funny. Did yeah. you burn out? Did I burn out? Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't. I don't think I did. Um, because once, kind of when, I mean, I remember like the last service at PMP when we started hearing about COVID, like, oh, things are going to shut down. Like, I mean, I was all in. I don't even think, I wasn't even thinking about the possibility of this ending. It was really just all this, all the sites were on, okay, how can I continue to move up and put mine in a position to have, you know, my own restaurant one day that's at this level. Um, I think it was once COVID happened and I was still working in the industry, that's when I started to kind of, I guess burnout if you will it wasn't really a burnout it was more just i don't know kind of seeing the writing on the wall i had some time to reflect on whether this was something that i really wanted to pursue because again when you're like when you're in it every day you don't have that time to Mm -hmm. to even think about what you know the repercussions of what you're doing or kind of where it's actually leading you in life um so once i had some clarity on that i think i made the choice pretty quickly to not not to jump ship but to i guess just you know shift my priorities really Mm -hmm. yeah and i feel i feel like that's kind of what i mean by burnout too is like a lot of people in the industry do that very thing where Mm -hmm. they are able to reflect and see like well my my personal life is not where it wanted to Mm -hmm. be i'm not getting rest i'm not doing this and it's like yeah you might like physically burn out too but it's also like that mental aspect of like is this really what i like spent all this time training trying to do and like people get to that point it's such a common thing in this in in that industry specifically and i think i mean money had a lot to do with it as well um just because i mean i was as a cook you don't make anything i mean even as a a successful chef i mean the the margins are thin um if you are successful it's typically because you have you know your restaurant tour you have numerous restaurants so um that's that's typically where people are making the most money but something like i don't know I, i at a certain point i just I think I started to realize what I want my life to look like in the long term, um, and what I was doing in that moment was not setting me up for what that was, what I'm hoping that to look like. And and what was that? What were you hoping for it to look like? I mean, I was hoping. I don't know. It's like you see so many other chefs out there who like they have their kids. Um, you know, they have a nice house. Like they have all this money, but you don't really pay attention to what it took for them to get to that point. Um, and I knew exactly what it was going to take to get to that point. I just wasn't, it just, I just didn't see like the net gain at the end of the day. Mm. Um, especially, you know, having a long-term girlfriend, you know, wanting to settle down, have kids, all those things. Like I wouldn't have been able to do that mm-hmm. or if, and, and if I did, it would have been at the expense of, of her. Exactly. And I think, I, you know, if there's a point in my life where restaurants can come back into it, um, I'm sure I'll take the the opportunity depending mm-hmm. on what that looks like. Um, Cause I mean, I still love cooking and eating and all, all these things mm-hmm. that I used to do. Um, I just, you know, I think I just had like a come to Jesus meeting with myself and it, it didn't end up being worth the squeeze. What, what made you get into the next steps after that? What happened after that? I mean, so I had the thought of, getting into real estate near the end of like once COVID happened and I was still, you know, we, they were giving us essentially like odd jobs to do where we could like still collect unemployment and still work. So I was actually making almost twice as much as I did by not like not actually working full time. Um, so I kind of saw like, Oh, like, you know, I was making, you know, 
50 grand a year. Now it looks like I'm making 70, even though it's just like, you know, a lot of it's like unemployment and stuff like that. Um, so I kind of had that time to pursue what I was going to do, like leading up to it. Like I knew how I was going to be able to exit in a way that, you know, I had some time to, to figure it out. Um, but ultimately, I mean, my, my family has a, you know, a small home building operation. Um, that is like, you know, it's a small business and, you know, they do a couple, a couple dozen, you know, units a year. Um, and, you know, my dad always told me how much he hates real estate agents and working with them. Mm -hmm. Um, he's like, I need, I need either a lawyer or a real estate agent. Mm -hmm. Uh, my fiance is a lawyer, so he had that. So I decided (laughs) to be a real estate agent. Um, and so I kind of just started working with him, um, and my sister and, you know, studied for my test along the way. Um, and kind of, as I was leading up to my test, I, you know, started reaching out to, to different people that I knew that were in the industry. Um, I mean, my, I have a few uncles that are aunts and uncles that are in the industry, um, you know, in different States. Mm -hmm. I mean, one's in DC, I have one down in, uh, in Mississippi. Um, and like my grandfather was in commercial, you know, my uncle's in commercial. So like, I understood kind of how it worked, like what the compensation was going to look like. Um, but ultimately I was kind of doing it as a way to, you know, get involved in the, the family business in a way that in the past I never wanted to. Um, but I, I guess like in terms of planning, there wasn't really much of a plan to be honest. It was kind of, uh, just flying by the seat of my pants really. Yeah. And when did, how did you get in, in connection with Newman group? Um, again, this will go back. All my connections are from high school, weirdly enough. Um, so a past member, Andrew Nugent, um, I reached out to him cause I mean, I saw him on social media. He was doing pretty well. Um, a couple years older than me. So figured I gave him a call and he's like, I, I got a guy for you. Um, to be honest, I didn't interview anywhere else. I got on a phone, phone call with Newman. He was like, Hey, you know, come sit down for, come sit down for an hour. We ended up speaking for like, I think three hours or something in a room. And this was kind of before, I mean, we, I did that like personality test. So, I mean, I, within the first like 10 minutes, I knew we were kind of like clicking on, mm-hmm. the, on the same level. Um, and then after that first meeting, I was like, okay, if, if I'm going to start in this, I knew who it's going to be with. Um, and that was, that was pretty much it. I mean, he took a chance on me, so I'm, I'm pumped about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How does it feel now looking back a year later? succeeding where 90% of, and you might look at it where it's like, Hey, I didn't succeed for shit. Um, naturally I think that's just like your mentality. Um, but 90% of people in this industry, they don't, they don't make a dime after their first year and you made a couple dimes if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So how does it feel being a year into it, you know, as you are right now? I mean, Again, I think, like you said, like, I don't want to give myself too much credit because I had so much help along the way. Um, and I'm still kind of getting dragged along as well. <laughs> At least I feel like that. Um, but I mean, it feels, it feels good, obviously. I mean, I'm, I'm happy that I was able to make it work. Um, cause I definitely put myself in a position where I had no other option. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if I didn't, if I didn't go through like all the cooking things that I did, I don't think I would have had the confidence or wherewithal to say, or or to bet on myself in that way and to just, to just go for it. Um, so I think like looking back over the year, I mean, um, you know, there was a good six to eight month period there where I was like, this is not, this is not going to work out (laughs) or it's not going to work out in the way that I thought it was going to. Um, but I think, you know, just putting the trust in, myself and the people around me and the things that they were telling me to do was eventually going to pay off. And, you know, now it has. So once I've kind of seen that, um, you know, I kind of know what, what the ceiling is or that there is no real ceiling. Why did you even trust Newman? Was it just because of the, you know, blindly, like why not interview at another place immediately? Like, was it just because for you when working with someone, you get it right away or, or why not interview at other places immediately? Um, I mean, I knew, I knew there weren't, weren't that many people on the team. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was really important to me. I didn't want to just be, you know, another number, one of 40 people on this team. I mean, I know now we're expanding, but at the time that was not the case. Yeah. Um, so kind of having someone, I mean, kind of going back to when I started cooking, I had that one guy Mm -hmm. who trusted in me and, you know, 
even if he didn't know I was going to be able to pull it off, he still gave me the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of how I thought that was like my initial kind of connection with Newman was, all right, this guy's giving, like giving me an opportunity, giving me a chance when like I've, I have nothing to show for it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and and on top of that, I mean, the conversations we had, again, we were just kind of clicking. Um, So like, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, maybe if I did search around, I could have find someone else like that and in some capacity. Um, but I just didn't see, like, it, it just felt right. I think ultimately. Do you think that your first 10 minutes with Newman was very similar to the first 10 minutes with that other chef that you met? Like where it was a lot different, a lot, different. <laughs> yeah, a lot different. Um, I think the first, the first time with him was because, I mean, he just didn't have time. I think, you know, that was really why it was 10 minutes long. Um, and I was super interested in it. So he had no choice but to hire you. I mean, I don't know if it was that, um, but I had no choice but to go for it because mm-hmm. it was the only opportunity I had. With Newman, I mean, again, I, th- I think I probably could, maybe I could have looked somewhere else. Um, but I mean, we've we've kind of talked about this over the cor- over the last year, like internally. But um, you know, when Newman always says, you know, we're not supposed to be here right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not supposed to be talking to you on this podcast mm-hmm. right now. You know, like, but these things work out for for a reason. For him, it's God. Um, for me, I think it is as well. Um, but you know, I think it's also, yeah, I mean, again, I, I think just those, those conversations, I mean, we, we spoke for like six hours and I didn't even get like, it wasn't even the job wasn't guaranteed. Right. Yeah. So like we, we spoke for six hours and I'm like, okay, like I hope this guy <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what, like likes me. Yeah. Um, because you know, I, I like, I liked him a lot and, um, you know, I thought just kind of the, the things that we were bouncing off each other, it just, it just felt right. And I think that, I think I have a really strong intuition, um, so, you know, I just followed that. What was the most uh, immediate skill that you saw that was transferable from the food industry over to real estate? That's a good question. Um, I think, well, I mean, there, there's a hospitality element to it, right? Like, you know, where you're kind of taking care of other people, especially in like a in a, in a food related activity. I mean, it's a very basic, like animalistic need. You're taking mm-hmm. care of someone's, uh, you know, nutrition, um, mm-hmm. as well as, you know, when you're in that Michelin star realm, you're taking care of everything, you know, mm-hmm. no, no details, uh, go overlooked. Um, and I think there, that's an aspect of real estate. That's very important. Um, you know, caring for others, uh, checking off all the boxes, whatever that means in any given situation. Um, but I think, the biggest skill is just, it's a grind. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's just a grind. Both, both are a grind and it's you versus yourself. Yeah. I mean, there's aspects of the kitchen where people are looking over your shoulder, like making sure you're doing the right things. Um, but ultimately you're the person who has to hold yourself to those standards. If you ever want to, you know, have your own place or, you know, move up in the line, be a sous chef, whatever it may be. Um, there's a certain self accountability that I think I learned during that time that definitely, uh, you know, transitions into real estate. And how quickly, you know, you talk about this grind, it seems like you're almost obsessed with learning, if that makes sense, or maybe not obsessed with it, but you have a very much student based mentality. And I can tell that just from you being on the team, you're always asking good questions. You're always, proposing, you know, different ways of thinking. Do you like that initial start to something new, if that makes sense, where it's like, yeah, definitely you start something and you just have this unlimited amount of time to become a master at it. You know, it's going to take 10,000 hours or however many hours they brainwash us with. Mm -hmm. What does that feeling feel like? Like starting something brand new? I've again, and I think this, this still goes back to to the cooking thing and, and even maybe into college. Cause you know, I got mm-hmm. involved in, in some sports and activities there where, or like even in my writing where I felt like once I pour myself into something, then I'm able to, I guess I'm able to catch up really quickly compared to other people. Um, if that makes any sense, like I have this, like just from going, you know, through college and, and through, you know, the restaurant industry, I have, I think I just had like a lot of faith in myself just through those situations, knowing that, you know, no matter how hard, hard it was going to get, you know, I was going to be able to, 
to push through. And is that only because of other prior, uh, not conversations, but prior experiences that you've had, or that's something inside of you that has always been there, that confidence? Um, I think, I mean, it's definitely been inside of me. I don't think it's coming from nowhere. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, especially in high school, like I had zero confidence in myself or my ability. Um, and I think that hindered me a lot. Um, so I think kind of throwing myself into the fire when it came to like the cooking and stuff like that. And even the running, just kind Mm -hmm. of throwing myself into it and seeing what happens. Um, and seeing that 99.9% of the time I was able to at least take a step in the right direction every day. Um, that just gave me a lot of confidence coming into the real estate industry, knowing that, you know, the, the matriculation was like so high, like people were just getting out. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, if you're speaking over four years, um, you know, again, most of the people drop out of the industry. Um, and I think the same, the same goes with restaurants. I think the, the statistics are pretty, pretty similar as well. Um, maybe, maybe not as high, but if you're, if you're looking at a restaurant over the course of like five years, uh, you know, more than, more than half of them go out of business. Um, so I think there was a, that kind of, I I understood what that meant. Um, you know, I knew that I I was going to have to work harder than a good 90% of the people out Mm. there. Um, at least to make, you know, even just to make ends meet my first year. And I think that that principle of 90% of businesses are going to, are going to fail and the other 10% will succeed is just so true amongst not only real estate, not only cooking, not only probably people who start running and enter their first marathon, maybe 90% or a large majority of the people that enter their first race don't make it to a second one. Um, The NFT industry, obviously, like as we hear Gary Vee talk about all those 99% Mm -hmm. of projects or whatever are going to zero, everything else is going to um, continue to rise. Yeah. Think about how many ideas you probably have that like end up just failing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like any, anything is just a numbers game of like, what's going to fail and what's going to work. But I think like it speaks to the ones that do succeed. There is a, a method to their madness, if that makes sense. And I think the way that you put it was just being inside of the fire or putting mm-hmm. yourself inside of the fire. So I do want to walk through, through some scenarios. If you were, to restart your very first year inside of real estate, what's the first thing you would tell yourself to do or not to do? It's May 3rd, 2021. Yeah. Um, I would tell myself to, I guess, to get over myself. I think there was, I had a, a good portion of the first, I mean, I, I still kind of feel this today a little bit. Um, but I mean, just, I don't even know if it's imposter syndrome, but, um, you know, the, the sales approach and, and the, the kind of sales background behind real estate, um, yeah. you know, there's a level of, you know, people don't like real estate agents, right? Yeah. Like I'd say most people, Why would you? most right. people don't like them. Um, I and I, I was very like tapped into that. Like I understood why, why that might be. Um, so kind of in my first year, like reaching out to everyone I know and, you know, hopping on the phones for the first time, there was a lot of, you know, I'm a, I mean, there was a, a, I still feel this a little bit sometimes, like I'm afraid to, to log into Mojo and start dialing, mm-hmm. right? Like there's this like level of anxiety where it's like, you know, I'm bothering these people. Exactly. I'm, you know, just a nuisance. Like they think this is like all transactional, which like, you know, a level to it there is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the more that I was able to, if I was able to get over that a little earlier, then it might have been, I think, at least marginally better. Um, and I think, you know, it's because, it's, again, it's, it's you versus yourself in this industry. So I think if I was able to get over that kind of lack of confidence when I knew that I should have it because of all these things that I've come from. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, obviously I realize that having, you know, closed the transactions that I wanted to close in the last, you know, year or so. I think if I would have known that up front, then maybe I would have had a lot less anxiety going into it. Yeah. You're more of an expert maybe than you might yeah. think inside of your brain, if that makes sense. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think I'm a lot harder on myself than maybe the outside world is looking at me. So yeah. you know, if I was able to get over that a little bit quicker, then I think, you know, again, we're talking about maybe a handful of deals I would have gotten right or, yeah. or something like that. Um, but I guess for what was the other one? What, what I shouldn't do or what I would should tell or should not, not do. do. 
So it's it's not two questions, okay. just one. But <laughs> you answered it. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a great that's a great response. And I think, you know, even to relate back to when I was doing door to door, there was times where I would knock, and I would like hope that they wouldn't even answer. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Mojo. Sometimes that first, you know, you log in to press and you hit you hit <laughs> it, and then you're just sitting there. And you're like, oh, I, I don't want Stanley Steamer to pick up because yeah. I know he's gonna rip me a new one. <laughs> it, it, you know it's 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 funny but it's also sad right that we think sometimes that we're bothering people when really all we're doing is at most offering a free valuation yeah. <laughs> like you know we're not we're not talking about selling your house today sir all, all we're talking about is a free valuation and is i think great practice <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um i think just changing the perspective like you said of of where like you are an expert and you do have something to provide because the average consumer is not studying the market mm-hmm. nearly as much as you are. Yeah. Um, and and that's kind of the mentality about it. So getting out of your own way and, and just believing in yourself more is, is a great response to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious though, now, now being here for an entire year, is there one thing in particular that you would have not done or d- haven't done differently but is there one thing that like one angle of business that you wish you would have took or like an actual tactic that you would have applied to your real estate business one year like do you think you should have went harder with your sphere of influence do you think maybe you could have went harder on a lead gen side or personal branding or do you think it have you know it just led you up to this point what are your thoughts um i i wish i definitely still think that I should be more active on all social media mm-hmm. platforms. I don't like posting. Mm-hmm. Um, and Why I f- not? I don't know. I Sometimes I get freaked out like, like people like know where I'm at all the time. I don't know if it's that. I think, <laughs> I, I think I just hate social media in general. Really? Um, I mean, there's so many good things about it that, you know, I wouldn't have if it wasn't for social media. Like I've, you know, I've definitely made, you know, I've made some connections through social media that have led to, you know, transactions and all these things that that you hear about. Um, But it was off of like minimal work. So Mm. I felt if, you know, maybe if I doubled down on this in the next year and made it a point to, you know, just keep people updated uh, on, you know, my life. Cause I mean, I certainly follow other people's lives every day. It's like, I get caught up in the death roll and I hate myself for it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that, you know, as, as the as social media gets bigger and bigger, um, you know, it's it's just going to be extremely important for me to have that sort of, uh, I guess, influence. Yeah, influence is amazing. I mean, influence attention. You can do whatever you want with it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do a call to action or sell your community on anything initially um, or ever. Mm-hmm. You know, you can do anything with attention. The more people that are following your stuff, the same way that we follow people like Joe Rogan or whoever, mm-hmm. and we're all into their stuff. You'd be surprised that there's people out there that, you know, as ordinary or boring, you might mm-hmm. think your life is there's someone out there that actually is receiving value from what you're putting yeah. out. I will say I, and I, I am that person. Like I see what you do on social and I like it. Like it's good. I think what you do is good. It's unique to who you are. You post and put things out that are like genuine you. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of really what I think it's all about is yeah. just putting out stuff that is like, and then not just that you're also like reposting things that are valuable to probably people who may be interested in whatever it is you're doing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I see, I think the, the interesting thing I see, though, is a lot of the, you know, as I focus more on the industry and follow more people that are agents and all these things and kind of see people start start out and how they approach social media. Um, and then, you know, looking at on the transactional side, like how are these people actually performing? Like, you know, they're super on, they're on social media every day. You know, they're posting all these things. Like, how are they actually performing? And then you know, I, I think this is maybe giving myself an excuse, but a lot of them aren't. Yeah. Um, and especially in your first year, like, I mean, social media is one of those games where it's it snowballs, obviously. Yeah. Um, but it, in the first year, I felt like maybe it wasn't necessary for me to attack it so hard. Um, you just, wanted to earn your stripes more. Yeah, and and I think that, I guess if we're talk if we're talking about you know making getting a deal as fast as you can or you know whatever you want to say, um, I mean hitting the phones is, is the best way to do that. Um, whereas I feel like social media is you're kind of you're very passive. So let me ask you this then: you're on a deserted island, and the only way for you to leave is one listing a 
uh, appointment scheduled. What three items <laughs> are you bringing on an island to secure this business? Items. It items. could be anything. Items. Uh, my AirPods. AirPods are needed. My phone. And a, a good script. That's it. That's all I need. <laughs> Dude, you fucked up. There's no phone lines. So you're going to have to bring a telephone. Con, no, I'm just kidding. But that really is like all you need in your opinion, right? For, for one, yeah. Which is like a, a, interesting, right? Because we're in all these spaces. There's all these brokerages across America. Yet it seems almost as every agent, if they wanted to, could work remotely. Do you think that you'll you'll get to experience and you'll see more remote work from realtors in the next couple of years? Or, I mean, I can't operate like that. Um, I don't know if. I don't know, like I, some days I can't get on the phone or hop on Mojo unless I'm next to someone who's doing yeah. it too. Um, I think if, if someone's able to do that, then, you know, they're probably extremely disciplined and, mm -hmm. you know, have that sort of focus. I'm not that kind of person. I, I, f I definitely feed off of people around me. Um, so, I mean, sure, I'm sure that there are, there are a number of agents who are remote now and will continue to be remote. Um, how successful are they? I'm not sure, but I, I know for me personally, I, I'll never be able to do that. So a team in-person environment is best suited for Yeah, with, without a doubt. Let's say another scenario, you're competing for a listing agreement. They're interviewing other agents at the end of your presentation or however you do it. The seller says, all right, you got one last sentence, bud. <laughs> one last sentence why should I go with Vince compared to the next agent? What would you say? That's a good one. Um, I think, and I've used this a few times, but I think ultimately the, the seller wants to feel like you're actually a human being. Um, and a lot of people actually say like, listen, I'm, I'm not going to sell you on how many transactions I've done or, you know, what my stats are, all these things. But at the end of the day, I, I do what I say I'm going to do. And my word is my bond. And if I tell you that, you know, I'm going to help you find your dream home or I'm going to sell your home for this, this amount, like that, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a reason why a lot of people don't like real estate agents is because a certain majority of them are kind of schemey and, and they'll tell the consumer anything, yeah, right? Like I'm going to list anything. your yeah. price or and, list your house for seven. And I think 000. if, if you come from again, like just a, a place of you know i'm a human you're a human like sure this is very transactional and this is my job but at the end of the day you know i, I take pride in what i do um and i think if again with that sentence i think it, you're able to to re relay that trust um a even absolutely. if even if they don't end up picking you down the road for whatever reason at least i think in my opinion they could say oh yeah that that guy wasn't and there's a there's me. a lot to be said for empathy too mm -hmm. you know what i mean like having like a client like we just had one justin's client um, who had a distressed property technically, right? And it was like contractor left her and like arbitrator like was like screwing her over as mm -hmm. well. And like he he had a lot of empathy for her and that's what she said in, you know, what, what not. And that was what closed the deal for her was that he, he cared about her situation and wasn't mm -hmm. just trying to get the cash from the property sale and move on, you know, yeah. even though he's gonna, he's gonna do that 60 times this year yeah. or whatever it is. It's like, at least has that empathy for somebody. Cause like you said, we're all human and we have that human connection. Mm -hmm. Let's take it away from real estate real quick. I have an uh, interesting question for you. Mm -hmm. I know you're a big fan of like Jocko and yeah. <laughs> all the, uh, the, the discipline uh, culture out there. Who do you think would win in a fight? one Conor McGregor or three David Goggins? One individual Conor McGregor? One indiv and it's in a ring, UFC. One. I'd say even one Goggins. I don't one know. Goggins if we're, is if beating we're, McGregor? If, if, we're, if, we're, if we're fighting to the death, 100% Goggins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first off, isn't he like double his size too? Easy. Dude, I don't think it matters. It's Conor McGregor you're talking about. Dude, who's going to carry the boats? Dude, I don't know. He's got He's got some fighting skills too does he i mean he's david a seal. goggins yeah he was a seal who's right? gonna, you ever seen seal. that video he's like who's gonna carry the boats and he's like sitting there benching like 300 something pounds no he's, he's just dude. screaming i mean dude one of him is like yeah like i'd, I'd be scared there's a robot I, don't know. I mean obviously i wouldn't 
I would love to see three David. Well, I would not love to see three David Goggins fighting me, but I would love to see three David Goggins <laughs> like taking on a beast. That's, That's why fair. I just thought of Conor McGregor. Is like I don't know if he's the best. Maybe right? Mike Tyson. All right, that might be a little bit more evenly matched. Yeah, true that. Logan that- Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I have a question. Restaurants, DC, Maryland. Who has the best? Out of DC and Maryland, DC and Maryland. Who's who's better? Who's top? Who's the king? All of Maryland, yeah. and then just DC. Yeah, DC, Washington DC versus Maryland. Who's winning that fight? I mean, just like broadly speaking. Broadly speaking, uh, I mean, restaurants got to be DC. DC. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. You want to back that up? I mean, I think if we're talking about, I mean, just the amount of unbelievable restaurants in DC. I mean, there's there's great restaurants in Maryland. Don't get me wrong. Bring that mic um, closer. But I, th- I think D.C. wins by landslide, 100%. I mean, just look at, I mean, how many Michelin stars does, you know, Mar- I mean, not that we're going to, you know, grade everything on that because, yeah. of course, I've been to, you know, great bar and grills in, in Maryland and seafood joints and stuff like that. But if we're talking about, you know, I guess higher end, 100% D.C. Yeah. Does, Ma- does Maryland have any Michelin stars? Restaurants? I, I don't think so. No. I'm tired of talking about these Michelin stars from this so. rubber company. <laughs> like this, I would have loved to have been in that board meeting where the guy comes in. He's like, all right, guys, I figured I've been up all night. <laughs> I know how we're going to sell more tires. And then it's just like that idea. Like, and it that works. doesn't make any. Yeah. I'm t- it's the I'm, standard. Now. I'm not going to say. I won't even go to a Michelin place and be like, oh, this is a Michelin star. I'm just going to say, oh, this is a one star restaurant or a two star not going to give them that free advertising it is confusing when it's like now we're talking about one two and three stars when it's like the standard's five stars so yeah like, oh well this place is a one star yeah, i'm not like eating Yelp. there you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um what is that atlas food group like what is that yo that's a great question because that's what something local food? to what Baltimore, right yeah so i mean it's a it's essentially a, a management group i guess um you know they I'm, I'm sure that they have like a consultant on it or like a creative director um but ultimately, like with those with those restaurants, you know, or at least with that group, you know, they started with I forget which one it was. Um, I don't know if it was Tagliata, but they started with one, and then from there you just raise the bar, and then eventually it gets very corporate. Um, so that's why you know they have like what like ten of them now or something like that. Yeah, but um, they they don't seem corporate. Like it seems like they are some of like they, it doesn't seem like the typical restaurant group. Yeah, they seem mo- much more like focused on the community mm-hmm. in a weird way. Yeah, no, and and there's a lot of those emerging as well. I mean, especially in DC as well. Like, um, like Rose's Restaurant Group, who I used to work with, they have three restaurants, but very like they're all extremely different, um, but all kind of tied with the same values. Um, and I, honestly, I'm not too well versed on Atlas. Yeah, like the other day, I had somebody be like, "Oh yeah, it's an Atlas." group mm-hmm. restaurant i'm yeah, like that so, means nothing to me. yeah so i mean i guess if if there's some sort of culture there right. then maybe you get that when you're you know going through the place or, or what have you i don't think i've i've picked up on anything but yeah but if you were like oh it's a yes brand which is like who owns kfc and taco bell i'd mm-hmm. be like go fuck yourself yeah. who cares? <laughs> like, whatever that's interesting it's like restaurant expansion teams or something like that more or less it's pretty much what it is yep um one last scenario let's say that for some reason you're you went viral on tiktok and now every single shoe brand company is asking you to create like a unique sneaker you get free sneakers from whatever shoe brand for the rest of your life what shoe brand for running is that for you i mean i I only run in hokas for the most part what is it hoka hoka one one (laughs) <laughs> is that a japanese brand or? no I is think that a song <laughs> <laughs> i don't know are they australian i don't know if they're australian that might be wrong um no they're are they french i don't know they're it's somewhere i think they're european somewhere somewhere out there um but they they're like the complete opposite of the minimalist shoe so they have like you know a lot of cushion like super mm. like stack heights like this big like you look like you're on platforms um and you just like that from a functionality or yeah so when i when i first kind of really started getting into running that was the first shoe that i got um it's like their clifton five or something like that which is like they're essentially the like minivan of sneak of like running mm-hmm. shoes like it's just like your all day pounder 
um, and I love that shoe, and I still wear it. I get all the different iterations, um, and I, I only run in their trail shoes too. Are those blue shoes the honky yeah, Durgan yeah, Durgan? Yeah, <laughs> the Hoka's. <laughs> yeah, I also money. need that. I'm supposed to be running 100 miles this month. I'm already two days behind. Yeah, get some Hoka's, man. Three days behind. Might, it might help you piece it out. Yeah. Any advice? Because I was supposed to be doing 100 by May 31st. Um, don't. Uh, I'd say be consistent rather than front loaded or whatever you want to do. Like don't don't load it on a few days in a week. Um, I'd say if you're running five days a week, you know, do something that's manageable and that you feel like you can do consistently rather than again like going out for like a ten mile run or something like yeah. that to catch up. Like I think being cons- being a consistent runner is a lot better than being you know a guy who runs 20 miles on a Sunday. Yeah. Like, it, like I would, I would take a guy who ran every day for a month than some guy who ran 20 miles every weekend, mm. any day of the week. Nice. All right. I want to get into my favorite segment, truth or trends. Truth or trend. <laughs> Is it just truth, or, just truth or trend? That's truth or trend. Yeah. Truth or trend. So Jared's going to say a topic and you will answer. Is it a truth or is it a trend? Right? Mm-hmm. And you can expand on it too. Okay. You can only pick one truth or trend. Yes. Can't be both. Yeah, that yeah, was like not be both. discrepancy. It was, oh my gosh, you should have saw CNN talk about the truth or trend segment from last <laughs> week. It was a hysterical mess. Yeah, it was a mess. Saunas, a workout or are we just sweating a lot? Uh, so, truth for sure. Um, so, saunas, like, it's, it's the only way, in my opinion, that you're able to really work that, like, that 110 to 120 beats per minute like that zone that true zone one workout that's like very hard to replicate um but when you're doing like very long efforts like five six hours plus especially if you're like hiking like ultra running Mm -hmm. stuff like that there there is you know there's a lot of portions where your heart rate's like right at that 120 110 but if you go for like a jog or something unless you're what do you mean 120 110 you're talking whoop language yeah so i mean per minute so yeah so like there's different zones to working out like one two three four five i think it goes at five um zone two is you know what most experts recommend that you do to build cardiovascular strength and endurance um zone one is kind of that like fat burning zone Mm. um which helps tremendously with just general fitness um, and I mean, I know it, it increases like your red blood cell count, blood cell count and all these things. Um, so I mean, I mean, definitely truth. This is also something with heat shock proteins, right? That get produced yes. that when you're mm-hmm. in that, like, it's similar to, it's similar to elevation. Yeah. Um, so they say, you know, if you spend 30 minutes in a sauna daily, it's, it's not exactly equivalent to spending time at like 8,000 feet. Um, but there, there are a lot of like connections there. And I, for it, like I'm joining, I'm joining Grind just so I can oh, use their sauna. No way, you are. Yeah, because I, I again, I have that uh, ultra coming up at the end of July, and it's all at altitude. Um, wow. And so I'm just gonna sit in the sauna like yeah. five days a week. <laughs> I love the sauna there. It's sick. We'll have to link up sauna talks. Hundred <laughs> um, percent. Nike running brand, like their whole Nike running brand. Truth 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 yeah. even after what you, you said about yeah. the other brand yeah, i mean what they're not say? they're not for me personally oh. well i mean like they're they're daily trainers and stuff like that they are for me they aren't like chunky enough uh-huh. like I, I really like the chunky ones um but i mean they completely changed the the running shoe game forever with their with their super shoe what are you talking about the super shoe they i mean have you seen I mean, do you know who, like, Eloise Kipchoge is, the guy who broke two hours in the marathon? <laughs> he doesn't. He definitely doesn't. <laughs> so, so there's this Kenyan who broke two hours in the marathon. Wow. Um, which is ridiculous. It's like it's like four, 430 mile pace, something like that. Is that the fastest? Yeah. Um, and, you know, they developed this shoe that now a lot of marathoners wear. Um, and it essentially gives you, like, a at least a 2% increase in output um there's like carbon plates and like different foam and all this crap how many years ago was this when he broke two hours yeah uh, and like this year years ago this this is all happened so like now adidas has a bunch of them okay um like the like i think the top three women at boston who just won they all had like the uh adidas like adios pro so like it's like Mm. their version of the super shoe um but yeah i mean i think nike spearheaded that and 
they're, I mean, they're making unbelievable amount of money off of that. Like every, every, every true marathoner has the, the alpha flies hundred percent. That's cool. I'm going to, I'm going to transition into the, the, the same thing. All birds, truth or trend? Trend. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, I've never worn them. So <laughs> they can't well, be, they can't be the truth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have a pair of all birds. They fucking roll. Yeah. Uh, I know that they made a running shoe, but... Not the biggest fan of the running shoes. They made a trail shoe, too, which I think is interesting. Yeah, I haven't u- choose that. But for a daily, like, just walking around or, like, standing for a long yeah. period of time, they, they rule. Fair enough. What's Allbirds? Is that for people who, like, wear underwear and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Sure. And it was it was actually a, um, a pretty successful crowdfunded shoe yeah. i believe like they start it was like a kickstarter and it got remember that and they grew it's for guys who don't capital. wear socks guys who don't wear socks. <laughs> the wool runners is what they were yeah everyone was doing kickstarter mm-hmm. now they just drop nft projects yep. so it's called a roadmap <laughs> yep um leadership books books on leadership can you really become a leader through words that you're interpreting through your eyes uh I don't know. I think that's a little bit of both. It depends. It depends on. You remember the one rule. The only rule. (laughs) (laughs) Leadership books. Um, I mean, so many people find a lot of value off of them. Mm -hmm. I don't. I I mean, leadership books aren't going to teach you how to be a leader. Don't think. Don't think about what other people either. Are they a truth or a trend to you? I think they're trendy to me, for sure. Okay. I'd say 99% of them. I think I get more like leadership from, from like, I don't know, maybe like books with like a lot of, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just don't like the, the self-help book kind of approach, which a lot of like leadership books are. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say all of them are, but I'd say the vast majority of them probably are. No, I definitely see that. Yeah. How come, how come you don't like those? Uh, I think it's just a lot of like prescription without maybe going too deep. Like a lot of them, I don't know. I think a lot of like leadership is a very like philosophical ideal and and pursuit. Um, And I think just like prescribing like things that people should and shouldn't do in order to be a leader is kind of like minimizing what that actually means. Yeah, and it's like industry specific too. Yeah, definitely. Like I love extreme ownership. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong, but like, are we going to apply everything that the Navy SEALs does yeah, like exactly. to my cupcake business that mm-hmm. I'm opening up, where I'm hiring 16 to 18 year olds <laughs> yeah. and stuff or behind the counter? Like in that scenario, it might. But at the same time, there's from, nuggets in there. Yeah, though, there's for tons sure. of nuggets. Yeah, and I love that's probably my favorite like leadership book okay. nowadays that's trending is extreme ownership but um we should I, run through the rest of these pretty quick and vince has got to get out of here yeah absolutely. pretty soon um superheroes marvels dc i don't care what it is like this whole the batman spider-man Trend. you think it's trendy uh, uh, there's I'm, no truth these aren't the modern day I mythical mean, greek <laughs> gods yeah aren't these what are all of our children are looking up to aren't these the tales that our children need no <laughs> I, I i don't i'm not a huge superhero guy i did see the the new batman i thought it was pretty sweet but no okay not, not for me last one pop punk rock oh my god truth <laughs> that's a truth <laughs> yes 100 percent. what is pop punk rock like the, what's that category um i mean it's like the intersection of punk music I mean, I mean, obviously it's like pop punk, you know, like it's like pop music, punk music intersecting where it's like, you kind of get this post nineties going into two thousands where pop's getting very, getting, you know, a lot of eyes on it. Um, and they kind of like mesh these two things together. So it's not, you know, headbang yourself into the floor a million times, but they're, it's like emotion. It's like kind of emo, rock, angsty, pop all meshed into one. Yeah. Yeah. Who are the top two bands that you like from that category? I mean, we just went and saw the story so far. Yeah. They're, they're up there for sure. Um, I mean, Mom Jeans was there. There's Joyce Manor. Uh, Joyce Manor was there. Um, Hot Mulligan's one of my favorites. And all these like all these bands are really like in their 20s and early 30s. So I just like, I grew up listening to a lot of this stuff. A lot of like AFI, that's more like punk. But I think AFI and like Census Fail, all these like post emo bands that came out kind of led into 
pop punk as well. I must have been the category right before. I was the emo bands. Yeah. The scream hardcore uh-huh. emo bands. Yeah, so it's like a mesh of that. So you can you know, you can listen to it with like kids in the car, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> During the holidays. It gets it gets by. Um, last question, Vince. I know I know you gotta get out of here. Looking back May third, twenty twenty three what's just one thing that you you hope that you can say you either did or you feel looking back a year from now it'll be your second year inside of real estate i mean this is kind of broad but um i mean i just i feel like for again i feel like i have very strong intuition and a feel for how things are going in my life and like trajectory like am i moving in the right direction um i think if I a year from today, I just hope that I look back on this moment and I've I've just built more opportunity for myself and those around me that have trusted in me to do this thing and to make it work out. Um, just to continue to build on that, because you know, one year's one year, and you know if you can't connect the years over time, like it's. I mean, for me, it means shit. Like I, I want to be able to double whatever I'm doing every year or else I'm not improving. I just want to always feel like I'm, again, take, just taking more steps in the right direction. Um, and I think with the people I have around me, it's it's going to happen. Yeah. Well, with that being said, Vince, I, I have no doubt in my mind that that's going to happen. And I'm very excited to have you back on the show to you know, continue to keep up with your progress. But thank you so much for coming on. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, man. Yeah, appreciate it.